I'm hoping that my position with Bowerman and what I'm doing is just the beginning of a whole bunch of other women getting into coaching and especially at this level. I think there's some great coaches at the collegiate level and high school level and they've been doing an amazing job, but I think, you know, to take it to this level as well, um at the professional level, I feel like there's very minimal women out there and I'd love to just be hopefully a resource and a mentor to some future women that want to get into coaching. That being said, I don't know. I don't have like personal coaching goals. I just hope it's something even bigger than that. It's like it's actually a catalyst for a whole bunch of women to be in positions of power and mentoring and leadership and guiding. What's up, everyone? I'm Mario Fraioli. That was Shalane Flanagan that you just heard from a minute ago. And this is the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thank you so much for listening in. Shalane hardly needs an introduction, so I will keep this one short. She is one of the greatest American distance runners of all time. A four-time Olympian, an Olympic silver medalist in the 10,000 meters, world cross-country bronze medalist, and most recently, the 2017 New York City Marathon champion. Over the course of her professional career, Shalane won 16 national titles and held or still holds several American records. These days, she's a mom to her son Jack, a coach with the Bowerman Track Club, and the New York Times bestselling author of Run Fast, Eat Slow. This was Shalane's second time joining me on the show. Be sure to check out her first appearance back in episode seven if you haven't already. And we had a great time catching up about coaching, parenting, book writing, and what her own running looks like right now. We also talked about her relationship to anxiety, how she channels her competitiveness now that she's no longer a pro athlete, and a lot more. A big thank you to Girls on the Run for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. This is an awesome nonprofit, and I am stoked to be partnering with them. This Thursday, March 25th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, you are invited to join an exciting 25th birthday virtual event celebrating the inherent power and courage of girls. Keynote speaker Hoda Kotby will open an evening full of remarkable stories and meaningful celebration that is not to be missed. RSVP today at gotr.gives slash TMS. That's gotr.gives slash TMS. This live stream event will include a keynote address from Hoda Kotb, a discussion panel with experts and athletes about building confidence in girls through physical activity, and a lot more. The event is free to attend, but donations can be made and special add-on packages are available for purchase, such as a copy of Hoda's newest book and a pair of Gooder sunglasses customized for girls on the run. So check out gotr.gives slash TMS for more details and to register today. All right, let's get right into it with Shalane Flanagan. All right, Shalane Flanagan, it's been three years, believe it or not, since we last recorded together. It's a thrill to welcome you back to the Morning Shakeout podcast. 
Thank you for having me. And it's been almost exactly one year since I saw your lovely face in Atlanta. So I'm super happy to talk. <laughs> Do you remember that? We were in the Nike room where they were giving away the Alpha Fly to the competitors at the trials, watching the BU meet where you had athletes competing in various events on the track. Yeah, I think we watched together um, the women's 3000 meters where Carissa, um, you know, mm -hmm. broke my American record. Yeah. And then we also watched the women's uh, 5k. There's a whole bunch of races that night. And I was so sad to not be in Boston, but um, obviously really grateful to be there for the Olympic trials. And yeah, it was pretty funny. I think we just bumped into each other down in the Nike room and um, yeah, and pulled up the meet. I, I don't know if it was your laptop that we stole or a Nike employee, <laughs> but <laughs> it was so fun to have someone uh, watch those races with me for sure. Well, I just remember how enthusiastic you were watching the races. And I was, I guess, somewhat thrown off by how fired up you were when Carissa broke your record in the 3000 meters. <laughs> that was pretty surreal to be watching that race go down like with you and and bye bye. There goes your there goes your 3K mark from quite some time ago. Yeah, you know, that was a really, you know, I go back and I think about what that race meant to me when I ran 833. It was after a major injury and it kind of changed the trajectory of how I thought about my career and what mm -hmm. I was capable of. Um, you know, it was a really close race um, between Defar and I and Defar at the time was winning a, every global, you know, championship race there was on the track. And so to be able to hang with her within seconds, you know, in Boston at Reggie Lewis, um, just like the greatest memory. And like I said, it changed how I thought of myself as an athlete in that one race. I thought, you know, I started to dream bigger dreams. And so I know what it means to athletes to have, you know, those groundbreaking performances. And, you know, for Carissa and Shelby, I think, you know, watching them execute and watching them, what I call, you know, spar daily um, and grind it out with some phenomenal training. I knew it was bound to happen. And in fact, I had three athletes that night. And to feel like I'm part of making the sport better to me is obviously super rewarding. And um, to watch my specific athletes break my record. I mean, I think that's like a dream as a coach, right? Like you you do what you want to do in the sport and you have your shining moment, but then it's like you get to relive those awesome moments again through your athletes. And I don't have to put in the training, but I get to watch these amazing athletes work hard and then execute on the day. There's really nothing better. And yeah, I was, I was really torn that I wasn't there in Boston because obviously that would have just been fun to have that memory. But now I have that lovely memory with you <laughs> in Atlanta. So <laughs> Yeah. Is there any twinge of sadness to see one of your records go down or is it just overshadowed by the joy that you have, especially in your case, because you work with these women directly? You know, I'm, I'm a bit biased for sure because they are my athletes breaking my records. I accept it very, very full heartedly and mm -hmm. like thoroughly enjoy watching them do that. If I weren't a part of the journey for another athlete, um, I think it would, I would have a twinge of sadness, but it really is a lot of joy to watch my athletes execute because I know, you know, there's this, I'm a small piece of a, of a puzzle and a pie, um, but I am part of it. And so when they think back upon the memories of their training and, you know, these great races that they've had, I know that they'll think of me in that little context. And so, um, yeah, like I said, I'm very biased. If it weren't my own athlete, I'd probably be sad about it. But um, 
it, because they're my athletes, um, it's a very different uh, mentality and joy for them. I'm really curious, how has your relationship with the women on the team changed since you went from being their training partner to being their coach? Fortunately, we have a pretty young crew, um, but I think originally when I was switching roles and kind of was letting some of the teammates that I had trained with really closely for the last couple of years and that were older teammates, um, it was a little bit of an awkward transition. Um, I think there was a lot of respect, um, but I think there was like some mourning and loss of by some of my teammates. You know, they, they liked having me as a training partner probably more as then they wanted me as a coach. I think they wanted me to train with them and they enjoyed that process more. So I think there was definitely like kind of a grieving period mm-hmm. that they were going to miss that aspect of our relationship. Um, but because our team is so young now, it's it's gotten actually a lot easier. Um, it was definitely harder, I think, with some of the older athletes. Um, it's like just a little bit more awkward, to be honest. Um, but yeah, now most of the women are, you know, at minimum like 10 years younger than me. So they're kids, basically. <laughs> so, yeah. You retired from competitive running in October of 2019. You've been coaching with BTC ever since. How have you evolved in that time as a coach? Uh, I mean, you know, I think you're constantly evolving a, as a coach. I think every year, you know, the best coaches get better every year. I, I think back to working with Jerry in the beginning and um, he's become such a better coach. And I get kind of jealous of the athletes now because I, I, I joke with them. I'm like, well, you know, the, the bunch of us that came out here to Oregon back in 2009, we were kind of like, you know, Jerry's guinea pigs and experimentation. And to a degree, it's true. I mean, he was a fresh college coach um, from Wisconsin and, you know, he didn't know anything about altitude training. There's so many things he didn't know um, which is good and bad, but like, he's, he's just gotten to be a better coach. And, you know, so I, I watch his, um, you know, evolution and I know that with each year that passes, hopefully I'm the same way. I just keep learning. And, you know, from year one, from my retirement till now, I feel much more comfortable. Like I definitely felt like an imposter at first as a coach. Um, but now I, I really feel like I've found my space and my autonomy and where I fit. Um, because there wasn't like distinctive lines and roles drawn um, with, you know, we have three coaches on staff, Pascal Dobert, Jerry, and then myself. And we each have our strengths and weaknesses. And we try to like fill in where, you know, some of us are better at it than others. And but it wasn't like written out in a contract like Shalane, you do this and, you know, Pascal, right. you're doing this. So um, when things aren't super clear cut and that's just how my brain operates and that's how I functioned as an athlete where you know, I, I knew my role, I knew what I had to do on a daily basis. And then all of a sudden, I'm kind of thrown into yes, I know the sport super well. But what is my role? And where, where am I crossing over a line, maybe, or maybe I need to step up and just trying to navigate um, where I belonged. I thought it was going to be super seamless, because I knew I wanted to do it for so long. However, when I got to the actual position of being a coach, all of a sudden, I felt like an imposter. And I didn't really know exactly where I belonged in my role. And so it's 100% been um, feeling it out, you know, making mistakes and also thriving. And I feel like I definitely have come into my own a lot this past year, for sure, in the last couple months. Um, Last year was rough with COVID. Nothing about it was normal and having to pivot constantly our expectations of what, you know, we were going to do that year. So um, 
but with some like resemblance of normalcy that we're kind of starting to see and feel, um, you know, and like hopes and dreams are starting to feel a little bit more tangible. Um, I think I just feel more normal. My athletes feel more normal. And I think we feel like we're thriving instead of surviving um, a little bit more. (laughs) What are your primary responsibilities at this point with the team? Um, Well, you know, I'm in this amazing position where there are not a lot of female coaches. So I feel pretty lucky. um, And I think my athletes feel pretty lucky that they get to have, you know, strong female role on staff. Um, For sure, I am a communicator. I check in with the athletes a lot. Um, I'm always texting and calling and making sure that they're getting what they need. Um, I've always felt like the best thing um, in my career has been the consistency of training, and that means limiting injuries. So we were able to acquire my physical therapist that I use for my two knee surgeries who became a good friend. Her name is Colleen Little. Um, I was able to thankfully secure her to start working with our team this year. So that was kind of something that I navigated and like pushed for um, and advocated for that, you know, these resources. Jerry is not like super into any modalities or injuries. He's very like, I do the training and I get you ready. But outside of that, there's not like... um he's not as into. So I've had to pester him a lot to make sure that we have, you know, just professionalize ourselves, um, make sure we have a staff that can support, you know, 20 plus athletes that are very dedicated and they deserve the best care possible. So, you know, a lot of like professional sports, they travel around with like even college teams, like a a team trainer or physical therapist. And we have been lacking that. And with as many athletes as we have, um, I feel like that's one thing that is super important and helped me throughout my career. I always advocated for myself to, you know, make sure I was on top of injuries or little niggles. And so that was something I felt like I really contributed to this year is bringing, bringing on Colleen and the athletes have loved that. Um, and then I'm, I'm definitely more um, into the personal lives of our women for sure. And making sure that they're in the right headspace and, I feel like this past year I was more of like a, a therapist mm-hmm. <laughs> than uh, a, maybe a coach, um, but maybe that's what a coach does. They're also a therapist at, too, at times too. But yeah, just making sure that they're in the right headspace to be able to maximize the physical capacity that they have and um, maintaining just, you know, good, good vibes and positivity. And um, yeah, but, you know, I, I obviously check in with the men as well, but I just obviously can have a much closer relationship with the women. I think that's an important role to have, um, with our team. As a coach, are there things that are more clear to you now than they were as an athlete or things that you pick up on now that might've gone over your head as an athlete? Yeah, that's actually a great question. Um, I don't know if things like went over my head. I can for sure say that as an athlete, I allowed a lot of stress to kind of consume me to the point of not enjoying what I was doing as much mm-hmm. um, because I was so worried about the end result that I I don't think I enjoyed it the way that the women, I see how they're enjoying it right now. Um, and they don't enjoy it every day, uh, but they're having way more fun probably than I did. And I think that shows through in their performances. Um, 
I probably can say like 80% of my career I trained alone. So that probably stole some of the joy um, of having to grind it out alone. But, you know, towards the later chunk of my career, I had, I started to be surrounded by more and more women and that made it just so much more fun and pushed me and made me a better person, better athlete. Um, And so I think, you know, looking things that kind of went, went over my head is like, I really do enjoy training, but I realized like I didn't enjoy training alone, um, like at all. And so it kind of, there were times when I wish I appreciated what I was doing more. Um, I was so stressed, um, and not really enjoying it the way maybe I could have. And I see how much fun the women and men have now. And I'm like, you know, I get definitely twinges of jealousy, like, Oh, like, um, just being in this environment now would have completely, I think, changed my perspective and, I would have enjoyed smaller little aspects of the day more. Uh, you know, it could be 40 and raining and I would probably get really grumpy. And, you know, the the men and women, you know, still show up with smiles and like, yeah, they don't love it, but they're going to get the work done and they're still going to, you know, there's going to be some fun banter and it's not going to be, you know, you know, they're not going to be as grumpy about it. So <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> no, it does. And let's dig into it a little bit more. I'd like to talk about your relationship with anxiety. I know you recently wrote about it and how it crippled you during your sophomore year of college leading up to the NCAA championship meet. Um, You were just consumed with worry about the race and you said you actually had to stop during it and walk. But take me through first just that particular moment and what you were feeling at the time and then maybe in a little bit we can get into just your relationship with anxiety throughout your competitive career and how you navigated that. I think some of my anxiousness probably started in high school. Um, I ran, you know, I played a variety of sports. I was downhill skiing, soccer, swimming. um, And, you know, I was very mediocre at those other sports. And I didn't win very, like, really any, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't the best soccer player. And I certainly wasn't the best swimmer. um, But I worked really hard. But when it came to running, all of a sudden, I had this kind of immediate success. And, um, I just thrived on being really good at something. But with that came kind of like a weight that I would carry. Um, And so, yeah, I would get very anxious for races. Um, (laughs) I don't blame my dad, but (laughs) he definitely planted in my head to always run really hard. And sometimes I would run above my fitness level. And so that would kind of cause some anxiety because I would run so hard that like sometimes I would mismanage my pacing and I was so new to running and I didn't train. Like my dad always said, like, we're going to, you're going to run and train, you know, as much as you can to be good, but like not one step further. So I was very like under trained. And so as a result, I think it kind of created some anxiety because every race was so hard for me. Um, so it started in high school for sure. And I never made foot locker. And, you know, I think one time I got sick and I didn't make it. And then the other time it was like mismanagement, same thing that happened at the NCAA level. I mismanaged my race tactics, went out way too hard again, like had to walk and literally collapsed, um, because I just ran too hard. And so same kind of thing in college, (laughs) I, um, you know, was, say, you know, expected to win. And that anxiousness just overcame me. Um, So that was kind of a tipping point, though. And I think it was actually much needed to address. I think it had been festering for a while, the anxiousness and having to stop and walk at the NCAA, which was pretty embarrassing, um, you know, led me down the path of seeking some help. And that was to talk to a sports psychologist. And um, 
ironically enough, it was a sports psychologist at Duke, which my coach wasn't super happy about, <laughs> but um, he was great. Um, and it didn't really require that many like meetings or anything. I think it was just really talking to someone other than my coach or my parents and just having the ability to just chat and talk about some of the feelings I was having. And then he really did teach me how to utilize visualization and from that moment on, I started implementing a few little tweaks and it wasn't really much. And I feel like the visualization was one that I would implement in training and before races. And it's amazing. I, I always assume people use that a lot when, you know, whether, you know, visualizing a talk or, you know, I, I assume people do it a lot. But I said something to one of my athletes recently. I'm like, oh, yeah, you should be visualizing how the workout's going to go or the race and, you know, addressing certain concerns. And she looked at me like, I've never done that. And I'm like, oh, gosh, okay. I thought like everyone did that. Mm. So it's, it's kind of interesting. I think there's, you know, I think there's a big push for mental health, um, especially in the last year. It's, it's been a big topic, obviously, with COVID and kids and just everyone in general. It's, it's been hard. And um, seeking out help is the best possible way to get through it and to um, – you know, the, how to cope and how to manage and thrive. Um, and so, yeah, it was very useful. And I think it really helped me the rest of my career, that one moment, um, which looked like a devastating race was actually like catapulted me to another level then because my brain was finally starting to function how it should. What do you think holds athletes back from seeking out the help that they need? I think athletes, I mean, I was like this, um, just pride themselves of not wanting to show any weakness. Like I didn't want to ever share that I had an injury or something was wrong with me because that was just a sign of weakness and asking for help. And, um, but the more I, you know, allowed myself to ask for help, I realized like, Oh gosh, that was so silly. Why would I have not asked for help? Like if I'm not an expert at this certain particular issue I have, like you got to surround yourself with the best. And that's what, you know, I think I would be stubborn at first and then eventually I would seek out help. And I think that does make a huge difference is just admitting that. But I think, you know, athletes and especially runners can be just so stubborn and don't want to ask for help until it's too late. As an athlete, you were known for your competitiveness. You just talked a little bit about it right now. Last time we talked for this podcast, you told me that you've always been competitive with yourself. I'm curious, what does that look like for you now that you're no longer racing? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I've been like kind of searching where to channel that competitiveness. <laughs> I think as you know, you know, as a coach, um, we're competitive for our athletes. So when we see that our athletes aren't fulfilling their potential, um, you know, I feel very competitive for them when they get on the starting line. Um, you know, Jerry, it's funny, Jerry gets this like reputation as not being like very talkative or social, but like we go to track meets and he's, you know, schmoozing it up with everyone. Whereas like, I'm so competitive. Sometimes I feel like I can't talk to other coaches until <laughs> after the races. Like I don't want to talk to them <laughs> and Jerry's off schmoozing. So, um, I definitely like probably put on a game face, you know, for my athletes and, just, you know, I, I want to be, um, I guess that's where I channel it, but you know, I do have some, you know, in my personal life, you know, always competitive with myself to, you know, be, be the best version of a mom for Jack and best wife and, you know, competitive with myself to just bring the best every day if, if we can. So what is your relationship with running look like right now? I know 
you've had a couple knee surgeries at this point, but you've been able to get back into it. What place does it hold in your life at this time? This past year, running has been completely my mental like therapy and health. Um, it's there's been nothing about it that's for the physical aspect, and it was more been for my mental state. Um, you know, having even though I didn't give birth to my child, my child is adopted. Um, the sleep deprivation was really rough the first six months, and so just getting outside for a half hour, hour to just you know feel like myself because um, I that's when I feel the most like me is when I'm running. Um, and it's just such a good space for my head. It's like, I, it's like breathing to me. It's, it feels like so innate. And I think that having it taken away for a whole year with knee surgeries, you know, I just really missed it. It's like a best friend that was taken away and I just couldn't go hang out with my best friend. So it was kind of torturous. Um, so I really appreciate my running like more than ever, um, because I was unsure of what it was going to look like post-surgery. But thankfully, um, and actually, ironically, uh, in Atlanta was the first run back from my second surgery. I just ha- I felt like I had to run around to be able to cheer for people. And I hadn't run a step since my second knee surgery. And so, of course, the hilly roads of Atlanta were the first my first steps running back. Um, so it's been literally a year. And honestly, with each month, month that passes, my knees feel better and better. And so it kind of has me dreaming up just some fun, you know, new goals and new adventures, you know, trails or roads and just seeing what else is out there um, to just kind of dip my toe into just to, you know, set some goals. It's, it's hard float. I feel like I've been floating around this last year with COVID, not really having any goals. Like everything was stripped away, like no personal goals, professional goals. And I'm so goal oriented um, that it was just like, it's fun to actually start to materialize some thoughts towards goals. And so, um, yeah, I've started to formulate some really cool ones, um, that, yeah, I'm going to start working on. Can we dig into those a little bit more? (laughs) Um, what's piquing your interest right now? (laughs) Um, well, for sure, some of the trail stuff, I'm just really horrific downhills. So because I'm so tentative with my knees, um, which obviously is a big component in trail running, the ability to run fast downhill and a bit Mm -hmm. recklessly and carelessly is just not in my DNA. So, um, you know, but I live in Oregon and it is stunning. We have some great trails. And so last summer I was able to get out on some really fun, awesome runs, you know, two, three hour long runs. And it just was like, blew my mind how pretty it was. And, um, I loved it just going with friends and, you know, eating chips and gummy bears on, (laughs) on the trails or, you know, like total junk food. And it was just like, I don't know. It was so much fun. It was just very different from the mentality I've brought, um, with my running previously. So yeah, I, I would love to do a trail run and then, um, yeah, I'm dreaming up some fun stuff in the fall to see, you know, maybe a little bit more on like the roads, but, um, not like competitive in nature. It's more like, connecting with the running community or doing something like to benefit someone else. It's not, um, you know, maximizing like my physical capabilities or that kind of thing. It's, it's more enjoying the sport in a whole different way. I love hearing that you've hinted at it in some of our past conversations, but to hear your excitement about it now and that you've gotten into it a little bit, like really energizes me. And if it makes you feel any better, there aren't many like fast 
track and road athletes who get into trail and ultra and and take to fast downhill running right away. It takes time. I feel like that's probably the hardest skill for a lot of those types of athletes to develop because it does take confidence to do that, as you said, somewhat recklessly and then add in your previous knee issues and you've got to be like a little extra careful, but it'll come with time. I promise. Okay. Well, I'm glad that I haven't been on a run with you with me running downhill (laughs) because literally the noise that I make is like a squeaky toy because I'm like squeaking and make the funniest noises running downhill because I'm just so terrified of falling and I know it just like needs to happen and I need to get it over with. But yeah, there's this self-preservation like switch that I just cannot turn off. So (laughs) I need to learn how to just like be a little bit more reckless and careless. So, um, yeah, I'm hopeful in the next year that maybe, um, we can meet up and go for a trail run. (laughs) All right. We'll plan on doing that. Do you ever have any inclination to still do workouts from time to time or have those days passed you by? (laughs) That is really ironic that you asked this question. Um, yes, I have waves of nostalgia and just like craving the routine of like a track session. And, um, so I don't have any desire to run with the Bowerman women because, you know, I had this grandiose idea like, Oh, I'll get fit enough and I can like be their professional pacer for some of the like records they want to attempt or whatever. Well, they've become like way too fast. So I can't even get to that level again. And I'm not willing to like train at that much to get to that level if that makes sense. Like I have too much respect for how much dedication it takes to even rabbit their races. Like it's, it's pretty hard. So that being said, I have now humbled myself back to a, maybe a more realistic level. Um, and my husband, Steve coaches, one of the best high school kids in the country. Um, and her name is Kate Peters and she goes to Lake Oswego high school. And, um, she was one of the top freshmen, um, in the country, last year, basically poor thing hasn't been able to, you know, do anything this year, but because kids are so lonely, um, (laughs) I've hopped in with her on a few workouts. And actually this morning, she and I did a few, um, you know, we did some repeats out at the track this morning. So I tend to write a few of her workouts because it's like mutually beneficial. We do some stuff that I want to do, and then we work on things that she needs to work on. So you know, she's a sophomore. And this morning we did uh, three by two mile with two minutes rest. And it was, let's just say it was pretty good. <laughs> so yeah. How cool is that, that a high schooler gets to have Shalane Flanagan pacing her through some of her workouts? I mean, there's probably people listening to this. that's like, oh my God, that would be <laughs> like a contest that I wish I could win. (laughs) Well, this is kind of full circle. This is the irony. So Kate, I've known Kate since she was maybe like eight years old. I actually Mm -hmm. coached her when she was in our youth Bowerman program. So her and her sister, um, I coached, you know, while I was a pro, um, you know, because the pros can kind of come in and out with our youth program that we run. We get hundreds of kids in this area that are part of our Bowerman youth program. And it has grown like wildly, but Kate and Anna um, were actually like little Bowerman kids, like age eight or nine when they first started running. And so I've known them for a long time. I've known them for at least 10 years. Um, So yeah, that, so ironically I was Kate's coach when she was like a little kid. And now what's blowing my mind is she's taller than me and she's like, we're basically about the same level right now. It's one of those weird, you know, paths that we're crossing. 
she's going to get much better and I'm only going to get slower. But <laughs> right now for about the next year, we're going to, we're like a perfect match. Um, so yeah, like today we did, um, those two mile repeats averaging like 525, which just shows she's like ridiculously good. <laughs> um, so yeah, 525 a mile, um, for those two mile repeats, which is just mind blowing. I could never have done that in high school. Um, so we're always trying to hold her back, but every now and then when she gets in with me, um, you know, she, she has some pretty big workouts. <laughs> so yeah, it's fun. Has she dropped you yet? Oh yeah. When we do anything fast, like 200s or 400s, um, it's, I, I like, I just don't, I haven't done it in over the last time I ever ran like hard 200 or 400 was my last race, like New York. So what was that? 2018. So that has like been slower to come back. Um, the strength is like really easy for me right now. So any strength workout I'm great at. And then the speed, she really makes me work. So yeah, she's dropped me, um, handedly in some 200s, like not even close. So yeah, it's fun. <laughs> Does it feel extra special? Like you're giving back because this isn't about you at this point? Yeah. And I love that. It's not about me. It's actually really fun. That's not about me. Um, <clears throat> I think that's what I used to say towards the end of my career. I'm like, I'm just tired of running being about me and like our daily life. It's been fun to, you know, invest in my family more and do things surrounding what is important to them. And like having my husband dictate more of our life. Um, you know, we moved, <clears throat> to Lake Oswego from Portland, um, just because he was coaching here and my parents live here. So it's just, it's fun to have things not about me. I'll be honest. <laughs> Going back to the Bowerman women who you work with directly last summer, Shelby and Carissa ran crazy fast in the 5,000, like almost 20 seconds faster than you ran when you set the American record several years ago. Were you surprised by just how fast they went? Yes and no. Um, only because when I was a pro, I worked my tail off. I worked so hard. I ran a ton of 1440-ish 5k races. Like I think one season I went over to Europe trying to run faster than 14:44 and I think I had like four 5k's. They were all like between 14:45 and 14:49. And I worked so hard to try to break, you know, that time and I just couldn't for the life of me. And so I I extrapolate that and I look at them and I'm like to watch them like handedly run much faster. Um there's a variety of factors. Um, you know, we benefit from having a very big group and having like perfect pacing. And, you know, when I would go run, I'd go into these diamond leagues and the winners would be running like 1420, 1430. And I'd be back in no man's land, just like scraping to get to the finish line. And it was not paced or catered to, to me. So, you know, there's a beauty in having this group because we can basically execute things in a way that, are very unique and very different setup than your typical like past years. So that being said, but then watching them train together, there's no way that they would have been able to do that if they didn't have each other. When Carissa first joined the group, Shelby thought she was in terrible shape because she's like, how can this little punk Carissa keep up with me? Like I must be in <laughs> terrible shape. And I had to like tell Shelby, like, listen, she's just that good. Like she's adapting really well and you're actually both in phenomenal shape. 
Um, so it took like a hit to Shelby's confidence at first, but then she came around. She's like, Oh my gosh, there's so much benefit to having this because now with Carissa here, I have to like definitely be more on top of things. You know, Shelby is like a little kid and at times can, um, you know, show up to practice, maybe not have gotten enough sleep or eaten the wrong things. And I think with Carissa there, there's this accountability that has made Shelby like professionalize herself a little bit more. So that's been amazing for her. Shelby and then Carissa just thrives her confidence just goes through the roof if she can keep up with Shelby so she's like the little sister that's always like clawing to just hang as close as she can with Shelby on every given rep and I think you know uh you know she's Carissa's almost like has been nervous because Shelby hasn't been in the races she's like recently and Carissa's had to run these races without her and it's like almost been a crutch because they do so much together they do so much training so that separation said, anxiety yeah she was she was like I don't know if I can compete without her so um it's good for them they they need to have you know their own moments and different plans and stuff like that so it's been good but um the fact that the two of them just spar constantly and I love to use the phrase iron sharpens iron it it really without each other, they wouldn't have done that 100%. Um, so yeah, I told them after the race, I'm like, I didn't think I'd ever see an American woman run that fast. Not that, that we weren't capable, but like, I just, it was so hard for me. And like at the time that I was running, you know, five Ks, like it was like a big deal. If you broke 15, now it's kind of like, eh, yeah, it's okay. It's cool. It's cool. Pat on the back, but, um, it's just a different, we're just in a different space for sure. So, yeah, the bar is a lot higher than it's (laughs) ever been men, women, 800 on up. It's just a completely different world. And for me, and I'd be curious to get your thought on this as someone who's been involved with the sport at a competitive level for well over 20 years now, I'm still having a hard time wrapping my head around, especially recently. It feels like every weekend record books are getting rewritten now and you're (laughs) like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 how is this like even, even possible? I know, I know. Um, I think there's so many variety of factors. I think you can look at just more knowledge out there, you know, social media for better or worse can either help people or hurt people. Um, but people see what other people are doing in training and then they want to one up their game and elevate. Um, yeah. The fact that like in high school, I used to wait for like a, something in the <laughs> mail, like the Harrier or something. So I could read about what Sarah Bay yep. was doing in California And, you know, it would be like two weeks after she already ran a race. And so it's just completely different. You know, I think like track surfaces are getting better. Shoes are getting better. Training's getting better. We have like group training. You know, uh, a lot of times there's people just training alone. I mean, there's so many factors that are going into this. And I think a year of people not really being able to race, people actually really trained. They, They put in some good foundational work. And I think that foundation and strength training that people probably did this last year has been, you know, really good for a lot of people because I think there's a tendency to over race at times for, for many people. And I think just people putting their head down and training is if, you know, the Bowerman way is to train, train, train. So I think, you know, everyone's realizing if you do a lot of training and if you don't get hurt, it's going to bode well. So, um, yeah, I just, there's so many factors and, you know, I think, um, you know, as, as like an old fart myself, I'm like, man, you know, there's definitely twinges of like jealousy. I'm like, man, I'm kind of jealous. Like how they make it look so easy. I fought so hard to run some fast times. Um, and I feel like people are just obliterating it. And I'm like, man, what I did wasn't that good. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Do you ever have those moments where you think if you were born 
10 years later and in your case would have had more training partners for a longer portion of your career, would have had more access to the faster shoes and tracks that are out now, just a higher level of competition in general that you would have been faster than you were? Oh, 100%. Jerry even admits, he's like, yeah, we didn't, he, we didn't maximize you in a, a variety of ways and um, 100%. But, you know, I think back to like my parents, my, mm-hmm. they were both really good at running as well. And um, yeah, I, I laugh looking at what my mom used to wear to like, you know, train in. I mean, it was all like cotton and, you know, just nothing techie about it. And I mean, she barely had sports bras. I mean, she's basically wearing like, you know, your classic bra to go running in. And so, I mean, just something as simple as that, there was just like no female clothing, let's, you know, let alone um, the technology and the information and the, you know, and form analysis and dietary, you know, information. I just think about straight diet. Like it, I, I look at from the beginning of my career to now and like my diet has massively improved. My education and how to fuel myself has improved. And I think that kept me going longer in the sport. But had I like done that earlier, could I have been a different athlete? Even just that small aspect. So it's all these pieces that are making these athletes greater. And yeah, it would have been fun to find out, but I don't regret because I think, it's important to have, you know, this lineage and, you know, there's, you know, Dina was the person and Lynn Jennings and Joni was the the women and my mom were the women that I looked up to. And then, you know, I'm a, I'm an important little piece of the puzzle of American distance running. And so it's like, I served my role. It would have been fun to find out now what I was capable of, but it is what it is. <laughs> It's a fun thought experiment, nonetheless. Oh, totally. Yes. <laughs> I've thought it many times this past year. <laughs> Let's pivot and talk about motherhood for a little bit. How's Jack doing? No, oh, he, he gets cuter and more fun by the day. Um, yeah, I think the first six months was for sure really rough um, for Stephen and I. And that strictly is like just sleep deprivation. And we mm-hmm. have a good baby. Jack is a very good baby. He is so happy, which makes us happy. Um, but yeah, he's he's thriving. He's um, He's just like a fun, happy kid. And like to have a kid that just, you know, loves life, it just makes you love life. Um, so yeah, no, we're, we're very much loving being parents. Um, and you know, the one downside is we haven't been able to, you know, bring him to as many, you know, a typical year would have had him traveling with us and doing fun things. So as a result, he is a very classic COVID baby. Um, he's very intimidated and shy and gets a little overwhelmed very easily, which is a little unfortunate. So that's like something we're gonna have to work on this next year is just exposing him to more people slowly. And, um, you know, if I bring him out to the track, he, the quiver lip comes out and the crying comes out just oh. seeing the athletes, you know, cause they get excited to see him. So, um, yeah, he gets overwhelmed very easily. So that's something, you know, kind of breaks my heart <laughs> that we've, you know, sheltered him so much, but I, you know, something that we can Im- improve on. That's our, our goal is to get him out and about more. <laughs> when we were setting up this podcast, you're about to take off to California for the 10 because Bowerman Track Club had athletes in that event. How's it been traveling for work and being away from your little guy, even just for a few days? I have missed traveling so much this year. Um, 
But that being said, it was a blessing being home as much because I really got to bond with Jack and, you know, really soak up motherhood. And he has like become an extension of my body, I feel like. So the first trip while I was like really excited to get back to work, like I missed working. Like I love work. I I will forever, like I like being slightly overwhelmed at times um, with just amount of, you know, stuff to do. Um, for some reason, I just, I love working. So I was excited, but at the same time, um, I got like crazy emotional upon like the actual physicality of like leaving. It was like really hard. Um, and I know he's in good hands and like Steven's an awesome dad. Um, so I had to like really, you know, work at it. Like I called Steven probably way too many times that first week. So yeah, I I was, I've been away from him two times for a week. Um, I went to Flagstaff twice this winter, um, and then went to LA. The the in and out trips are not that big of a deal. I feel really good, but it's like the week long, it gets, gets to be a bit much, but with COVID, I just, I don't love coming in and out of camp a lot, like really quick. Um, I'd rather like with COVID just be there for a good chunk and then leave um, and not make tons of little trips, if that makes sense, just for Mm -hmm. safety of everyone. So yeah. Yep. (laughs) But I feel like a lot of parents can relate to that. Um, You know, just um, yeah, you want to do the best you can um, work wise and set a good example, but it's definitely hard um, to be away for sure. (laughs) I know your parents moved closer to you relatively recently, despite the craziness of the past year, what has it been like having them just closer to you and seeing them on a more regular basis than you would in the past? It has been, especially with COVID, um, just amazing because I think about how we have other family, um, like my mom and Steven's uh, family is on the East Coast. They have yet to meet Jack. Um, so that like breaks my heart that they have not been able to travel out here and we haven't traveled to see them yet. Um, you know, they're waiting for their vaccination. So I feel like I have my little pod and utopia in Portland to a degree. My sister lives close with her husband and my nephew. And then my parents are literally 400 meters up the road. And it's like, um, a little sanctuary and, I have always been really big on family and I have a very special relationship with my dad. And as you know, you met him. Um, And so just having them around daily um, to be a part of like our kids lives. And, you know, it's like, it's great. He's over here pretty much every day. Um, He doesn't run anymore. Uh, My dad, so he comes over and cycles um, and the gym that we built here at the house and, you know, we go for walks. I mean, it's like seamless, like an integral part. We have a lot of family dinners and I feel really fortunate this year that we had that social outlet um, and having family so close by. And yeah, it's, it's really wonderful. Shifting back to motherhood, how has being a mom just shifted your overall perspective on life and how you look at it? Well, um, I have never felt like more purpose, uh, in my life. Like I felt like I had some purpose (laughs) before, but it's like another level of purpose, like having Jack around. And it's been a wonderful feeling to feel every day. There's a really strong sense of what I need to do. And that's to take care of him, 
to my best ability and it's fun. I, I love taking care of Jack and it's made us for sure want to have more kids um, and maybe fast forward for through the first six months. But um, yeah, the sense of purpose <laughs> that he's given us, um, it's it really is fun and watching watching him grow and thrive is is really it's incredible. Yeah. A few years ago, you and Steve had fostered two sisters. Are you still in contact with them and are they still a part of your lives? Yes. I wish you could see the big smile on my face. Um, <laughs> they, uh, yeah, Brianna and Kiana, they're great. We saw them, I don't know, maybe a, two months ago now, but <laughs> they are thriving as well and doing great. They just got their first apartment and living on their own and they're going to school and you know they're not the typical foster care story we're super proud of them we stay in touch a lot they love jack they got to meet jack so we'll be seeing them soon again um but yeah we will have to go check out their new apartment and we sent them some little gifts um to you know celebrate this like independence i think they're really proud of themselves and yeah, we're, we're really proud of them and they're great, great kids. So yeah. Talk to me a little about your cookbooks from the outside looking in, I'm blown away and not surprised, but just blown away in the best way by how successful they've been. And I see them everywhere. My wife has all of them. A lot of my athletes are like, I picked this up out of Shalane's cookbook. Are you surprised by how well received they've been? Yes and no, because when we first had the idea, we we just were like, well, we don't know if anyone will publish this. Um, and some of the ideas were a little like unconventional at the time, um, you know, eating, you know, we I was I was in the area of low fat and counting calories and kind of just some, I think, bad habits that we as a culture had started to promote. And so when we came out with our cookbooks, there was unconventional things about it. Like we promoted a lot of healthy fats and no calorie counting. We provided no nutritional like content other than this is good for you and trust us. Um, and obviously backing, you know, mineral rich and why, you know, some components, but for a lot of endurance athletes, they want to know like every little minute detail of how many grams of this and that. And we just weren't going to do that. So I think why I'm surprised is because of the OCD and like type A nature of, you know, endurance athletes. I'm just happy that it was received as well as it was. And, um, you know, my co-author is exceptionally smart and knows so much about nutrition and food and her culinary background is like just gotten better and better. And so I really think with each book, we're just getting better and better because we're learning more as well. Um, but yeah, it did surprise me that people did resonate with it because it was unconventional at that time. I think it's more accepted now how we try to promote, um, you know, fueling yourself. But yeah, it's it's been a, it's been super rewarding to work with a best friend of 20 years and dream up, you know, new content and ideas. And I just I feel really lucky I get to work with people that I just genuinely like love. And so having her, you know, to work with <laughs> after being friends for 20 years and, you know, we're editing right now. Um our next cookbook rise and run. And it's, it's like, it's like each book gets better. And it's like, Oh, this is my favorite one. No, 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 this is my favorite one. So I like love that we still have things to say and things to share. 
My wife wants to know what is the most popular recipe that you two have put out? <laughs> um, you can tell Christine that the superhero muffins by far. <laughs> I that don't was know. My guess. Yeah. They are like, okay, so I was in Vienna for Elliot Kipchoge's sub two attempt, and this woman that I was working with with the broadcast company just happened to get a text from her friend back in the UK and she's sent her a picture of a superhero muffin. And she's like, Oh, you won't believe it. The woman who wrote that cookbook is with me today. Like just crazy stuff like that, where people like around the world have stopped me being like, Oh, I love your superhero muffin. So, um, yeah. So those by far are the favorite. <laughs> well, they're a staple in this house. So it doesn't come as a surprise to me and pretty Great. much anyone else that I've I've talked to just raves about them and I can highly recommend them to anyone. Well, who then is people are gonna to love this. Rise and Run then because it's a very muffin heavy book and we've got some really, really cool ones because they're not necessarily the sweet kind. So those that like savory um are gonna love these new new recipes we've got. So all right. You'll have to send me an early copy because oh, now my 100%. mouth is my mouth is watering just listening to you <laughs> yeah. describe that. <laughs> yeah. A few more things before we wrap up this mm -hmm. conversation. In terms of books and writing, do you have any plans to go beyond the cookbooks, writing a memoir of some sort or maybe a training guide of some kind? Well, um, I've never really been enticed to write a memoir. Um, but I guess never say never. Um, but yeah, I don't know what that memoir would be. Um, you know, like, I feel like, uh, there's gotta be like a strong theme or vision for it. And I guess I don't really have that for like my life. Um, so if you have any ideas, but, um, no, you know, this next cookbook actually contains, this is what's going to be fun about this one is I actually share a lot of like training content in this cookbook. So it's oh, kind of cool. twofold. Um, and so yeah, there's going to be like all the gurus and the people that I consulted with throughout my career. I have them share some really great information um, that helped me and so try to help everyone else. And then, yeah, you know, I share basically some training programs um, for everyone to use. Um, so it should be fun. In recent years, I've really enjoyed listening to you in the broadcast booth of major marathons. Looking ahead to this fall, optimistically, some races will go off as planned. Can we expect to hear you on the call at any races in the near future? You know what? I have definitely taken a backseat to the commentating opportunities. Um, I think because I've just started to come into my own as a coach and I've not wanted to ever miss out on anything that my athletes are doing and like they're my top priority. Um, so that being said, I would love to get back in the booth. I really have a lot of fun. Um, the downside is I, because I don't do it so consistent, like consistently, mm -hmm. um, I feel like it's harder to, um, just get better. Obviously the more you do it, the, the better you're going to get. Um, so I've seen like Des doing some commentating lately and I thought she was phenomenal. Um, I would love to get back in the booth, but at the same time, it has to just be like the right fit in the right time where I don't have any athletes competing and there's like no other obligations as a coach. Um, cause that'll just always be the top priority. So that being said, it's tricky because like you want to be available. Um, and if you're not available, um, it gets harder to like actually get the opportunities if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. yeah. Bringing it back to coaching to round 
this one out. You're less than two years into your journey at this point. Looking ahead, how would you like to see your career progress? I mean, I'm hoping that my position with Bowerman and what I'm doing is just the beginning of a whole bunch of other women getting into coaching, and especially at this level. I think there's some great coaches at the collegiate level and high school level, and they've been doing an amazing job. But I think, you know, to take it to this level as well, um, at the professional level, I feel like very much, um, you know, there's very minimal women out there. And I'd love to just be hopefully a resource and a mentor to some future women that want to get into coaching. So um, that being said, I don't know, I don't have like personal coaching goals. I just hope that it's something even bigger than that. It's like, it's actually a catalyst for a whole bunch of women to be in positions of, um, power and mentoring and leadership and guiding. If you could give one message to those women who are thinking about coaching as a career path, what would it be? I honestly believe that finding a mentor actually is what is crucial. I think, you know, I kind of like made Jerry and Pascal mentor me. Um, I didn't like wait and be asked to be mentored or like, I think sometimes you have to be aggressive and like seek out people that you admire and that, you know, you want to emulate and you want to be like and surround yourself with those people. And if it means like pestering and advocating for yourself, um, you know, I think that's what it takes. It's like, if you want to get to that level, it's like, you just got to have that self-belief and um, there's no like, you know, perfect timing of anything. I think you just got to go for it and you just got to be, you know, just pestering and, and basically demand that you get the time and, and, you know, hopefully there's someone that's receptive <laughs> um, that you actually want to be like, and they're, they're willing to mentor. I love it. I think that's a great place to wrap this one up. Shalane, thank you so awesome. much for coming back on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, real quick, what is, what's the scoop on you? I, it's like, I feel like I get to talk about myself a lot, but I don't know anything that's going on you <laughs> in your world. Well, where do we start? Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I haven't seen you in a year. I mean, yeah. my world has been flipped upside down as well. Um, Coaching has been strange because I don't have a big on the ground group. I have local athletes who I've been able to meet up with individually or in small groups over the past year. But most of my relationships in that capacity are are virtual. And other than the fact there aren't any races, not much has yeah. changed. A lot of people have kept training, which is not super surprising to me, but it's been really interesting to see the role that running and training plays in my athletes mm -hmm. lives when they don't have something that's 12 weeks away or yeah. 16 weeks away. And yeah. I think there's actually been something really beneficial about that because yeah. it's allowed them to expand their perspective and examine their relationship with competitive running, much like you described earlier in, in this conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think when races do come back and we can be on more of a set schedule, just the new perspective that they're taking into those training blocks is, is really going to benefit them. So yeah. it's been, it's been interesting on a, 
or from a coaching standpoint to see that and and to understand it and to see where it's headed but i mean from a, a work standpoint you know sort of business as usual with podcast each week and yeah. putting out the newsletter my own relationship with running has gone through a couple evolutions <laughs> over the past year i i went from just kind of jogging around for my own mental health yeah. every day of the week but with no real direction to it to you know getting to a point where uh, that just wasn't doing it for yeah. me and it it became pretty <clears throat> mundane and and uninspiring and I've started just training again myself and putting more intention behind my running and that's been interesting I mean over the last eight to ten weeks I've run more consistently than I have in quite a few years like 50 to 60 miles a week like yeah. week in and week out and it feels really good but I've gotten back to doing workouts and yeah you'll get a kick out of this because we're the same age. <laughs> I did an 800 meter time trial this yeah. past weekend for the first time since 2004. That it's been sounds 17 terrible. Years. It sounds like it things was... would rip on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did survive it. Um, yeah. And it was as terrible as I remembered it. And I had that um, awful feeling in my throat the rest of yeah. the day that you can only get when you've run like an all out 800 or, or 1500. Yeah. But it was fun to go to that place again and yeah. just explore that even though it was a lot slower than I had done it back in 2004. Yeah. I mean, the time doesn't even matter to me at this point, but it was yeah. fun to just remember what that felt like. But it got me excited to see, okay, what can I do for a mile now, you know, in a few more weeks with a little bit more work. So that's been, yeah. that's been really interesting because if you had told me three years ago that at, you know, 39 years old, I would be doing workouts yeah. to prepare myself for an 800 or 1500 <laughs> I would have I would have called you crazy and like yeah. laughed you off into the sunset but it's it's been fun from you know from that standpoint I'm itching to travel again uh, like you described a little yeah. while ago um, I got back exactly a year ago today from the Olympic trials and I've been home every day since and that's the longest stretch that I've been at home oh I mean, my certainly in my in my adult life, maybe since my teen years. Um, yeah. And that's been, that's been a little strange, but it's been, it's been good. I mean, Christine and I have really just in, enjoyed being at home. We'd been in our house, our new house for six months prior to the pandemic hitting. So okay, we have been able to explore locally trails and just the surrounding area that eventually I think we would have gotten to, but since we have the time and we're not going anywhere, um, it's been, it's been easier to to do that and we've taken advantage of it. We've done stuff around our house that probably wouldn't have gotten done for, you know, two or three yeah. years. So it feels nice to check some of those boxes as well. But I think we're at a point where we're just ready for things to normalize a little bit more, to yeah. travel a little bit more, to see our friends a little yes, more yeah. frequently and just and just get back to some of those aspects of life. Yeah, that we've even been if without it's not for the full capacity, just a little bit yeah. here and there. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Just getting back to those aspects of, yeah. of life that you knew you enjoyed, but since you've yeah. had them ripped away from you for the past year, you develop a whole new appreciation for them. So 100%. that's where that's where we're at. And with any luck, yeah. uh, I'll be up in Portland at some point this year. And hopefully you're in town oh, and we can yes. get out to the gorge or something and run some trails. Yes. Or you can just hammer me into the ground for a track workout. <laughs> Either way, that sounds great. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Please let me know if you're up here. That would be awesome. So... Well, well, thanks. Yeah, thanks for indulging me on the, the scoop on you. <laughs> of course. It's always great to catch up with you. Thank you so much for coming back on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Take care, Mario. All right.
right. Thank you so much for listening in to the Morning Shakeout podcast. A big thank you to Girls on the Run for sponsoring this week's episode. Girls on the Run has been inspiring girls to know and activate their limitless potential and boldly pursue their dreams. This Thursday, March 25th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, you are invited to join an exciting 25th birthday virtual event celebrating the inherent power and courage of girls. Join me and RSVP today at gotr.gives slash TMS. That's gotr.gives slash TMS. The event is free to attend, but donations can be made and special add-on packages are available for purchase, such as a copy of Hoda Kotb's newest book and a pair of Gooder sunglasses customized for girls on the run. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to subscribe to the show. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me couple more things before we wrap up i'd like to give a shout out as always to my longtime producer john summerford who makes every episode of the podcast sound clear and amazing also thank you to jeffrey stern for running the am shakeout social media accounts and chris douglas for handling sponsorship sales last thing if you are digging this podcast i think you'll love my newsletter it's also called the morning shakeout and you can subscribe to it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe Every Tuesday morning, you'll get my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to. It's a quick read, 5-10 minutes tops, but it will give you plenty to think about throughout the rest of the week. Again, you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. (laughs) 